Em Rossiano and Michael Lucas. Hard-bodied, sweaty, hairy Italian men. This is Emsolation. My body did less great things, but it still did the job. <laughs> He's a refined diva. I'm like a dumpster fire, batshit crazy diva, and he's a refined diva. Easily the trashiest thing Em has ever, and this is really saying something. You're in Emsolation. Stephanie was also an unpaid advisor to Melania. I think I could probably claim that status in your life. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, how are you? Welcome to another edition of Emsolation where there will be no rogue tampons today. And if this is the first time you've ever listened to the podcast, that will be very confusing to you. So you need to go and listen to the episode, Jenny has left the building. I um, I have never received a huge response from anything I've ever done than what I've got back from telling that story in the last episode of this podcast. I am completely, I'm still floored by it. And I'm realised so many people have traumatic period stories. You know how everyone has an explosive diarrhea story? Everyone has a story of when they ate some bad food or got sudden gastro. Everyone has got that story of the body exploding. Uh, and I realise that obviously applies to periods too because the stories that have come back and I and I would love to maybe one day I'll sit down and just read them out. Maybe I could just do a period edition of the podcast because some of you obviously felt freed by me talking about that experience at the school swimming sports. It seemed to give you permission to just unload and and hopefully you all felt lighter. Hopefully you are now all kind of a few kilos lighter, the shame of whatever that experience was. And I guess I've really been thinking about the whole notion of the, the amount of shame that is around women's bodies and around that then then is passed down. I've got two daughters and I know a lot of you have daughters or a lot of you have young women you know and care about and periods and masturbation and body hair and and all of that is still something that there's this deep-seated systematic shame that women are kind of made to feel and we pass it on to each other. There's an internalised shame that we unknowingly pass on to our daughters or to the young women around us who, who look to us and I would like to be a part of breaking that that chain I would and I I really want to encourage you and this might be a, might be a bit confronting but for all of you who shared your traumatic period stories with me I would like you to seek out the young woman in your life and obviously you know baby steps don't launch straight into it the time where you lost control of your period but I think it's important that we tell these stories to our daughters and to our sons. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going as, as I go along. I'm kind of having thoughts. I think it's important we share these stories to normalise them. We need to normalise this stuff happening because it happens to everyone. This is something that everyone can intimately understand yet no one talks about publicly. And if more of us and, – and think about how you felt – Listening to me talk about that tampon just make its way into the public pool. <laughs> and, and in you, did it release some kind of, oh, yes, I've had that experience. Imagine if we could do that for all our, all our young people. I think we need to normalise embarrassing, not even embarrassing, normalise the shit that happens to our bodies. And I think that the world would be a much kinder place if we started doing that. So... I'm challenging you to somehow find a time with your kids, you know, and make it age appropriate. I mean, you don't have to sit down with your two-year-old. 
They're not going to get it or understand. But, you know, if your daughter or son has just started going through puberty, this applies to fathers as well. Sometimes your dick goes rogue too, man. You know, sometimes things happen. I think it's important we tell our kids our embarrassing body stories. So I'm putting out the challenge to all of you. And even if you don't have kids, if you've got a niece or a nephew or your best mate's kid, just a kid that you know and that you're really close with and you want to help them normalise their bodies, tell your embarrassing body stories. Tell it to them, especially if they're like 13, 14, when it all starts. Do you know what I mean? So there's going to be hopefully a wave of kids over the next few weeks with thanks to me hearing cringeworthy stories from their parents or their adult, their caretaker, whoever it is, the important grown-up in their life. I really want to encourage you to tell those stories because it's cathartic also and it's fun to make kids squirm. And the more we do this, when it happens to them, they won't feel shame. They won't feel alone. They won't feel all the stuff we felt because you wouldn't wish that on anyone, would you? All right. Well, that's what I just wanted to do. I just wanted to issue you that challenge. The pod is coming out late today. I apologize. But Michael and I did want to cover the shit pile that was the US presidential debate yesterday. Jesus, Mary and Joseph, what did we witness? Oh, my God. God, it was it was hard to watch. So we've recorded right today, Thursday. It's 9.33 a.m. as I speak to you. This is going off to my editor, Matt, and then you'll get it now, hopefully fresh Thursday afternoon. If you are listening on Thursday, I'm on the project tonight, so feel free to watch and, you know, comment online. I love seeing him on the project. Every little bit helps. So um, Michael's going to come along now. We are going to talk, obviously, US presidential debate. We're going to talk JK Rowling and is it okay that our kids still love Harry Potter? I've been really grappling with that because of her transphobic views and what she's been saying and my kids love Harry Potter. Odette is currently making her way through Harry Potter uh, and it's had to have some soulful conversations with myself and with Michael. You'll hear that. And also we want to issue a challenge to Dan not to talk about embarrassing stories but we think it's time for Dan to have a day off, don't you? We're trying to start a movement. Hashtag day off, Dan. All right, let's get into it. Play the music. M. Rossiano and Michael Lucas. This is M. Salation. All right, well, it's a specially late edition of this man today because, God, we have so, we had to watch the debate. We did. We had to watch the debate. Also, I couldn't record yesterday because I had a sick baby. But let's say it was for professional reasons. Yeah. And then, and then that debate went for about seven years psychologically. <laughs> oh. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, the first thing I'll say is I'm glad I'm not American because I can imagine no matter what side of politics you sit on, how dispiriting and soul-destroying that debate would have yeah. been. No Republican or Democrat in their right mind walked away from that going, yeah, that's good. I did um, take a leaf out of the M. Rossiano book and look at some Trump fan Twitter accounts and everything just to see what they were saying. Oh, good, what they say? They were also saying complete shit show. They, they were doing a bit of a, look, total shit show, unwatchable, but I know I'm still voting for him. That was that kind of their, <laughs> their vibe. <laughs> Kirsty Alley is a Trump fan. I didn't know that. I know. I did. I did. Did Roseanne have anything to say? Has anyone checked up I on Roseanne? Find, no. I think her. <laughs> I think her people that love her have taken her Twitter account far away from her. Good. Good. The thing is, I mean, all right. We'll, we'll play a bit now. Here are some of the highlights slash lowlights from the debate. We welcome the Republican nominee, President Trump, 
and the Democratic nominee, Vice President Biden. How are you doing, man? Well, you're certainly going to socialist. You're going to socialist. I am, and they're going to dominate you, Joe. You know that. This man doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't want to answer the question. I'm not going to answer the question because because the question is the question is the question left. Will you shut up, man? Listen, who is on your list, Joe? This Who's is on your so right. Gentlemen, is, I think this we've is ended so this. He's going to pack the court. We have end, no, no. not going to give a list. We have ended. We're going to move on to the second segment. That was really a pr- productive segment, wasn't it? Keep yapping, man. The people understand, Joe. <laughs> they sure 47 do. years, you've Joe. done nothing. They understand. Oh, All right. You Lay didn't want me to draw. ban China, which was heavily infected. You didn't want me to ban All right. we're, gentlemen, Europe, we're, 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 which no, was heavily infected. Uh, you would Mr. have been President, much later, Joe. Mr. President, much later. Mr. President. You're talking about two million people. You're not President, President, as a moderator, I got rid of the individual mandate. Excuse me. I got rid of the individual mandate, which was a big chunk of Obama. That is absolutely a big thing. That was the worst part of Obamacare. Chris, You're that was the worst part me. of Obama. Let me ask my question. Well, I'll, I'll ask Joe. I, 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 the individual no, I, mandate was the most unpopular Vice, aspect of Obamacare. I got rid of it. Now, obviously, uh, would you shut up, man, has become a massive meme. Of it's selling t-shirts. Um, it's selling t-shirts. Hillary even responded to it. Mm. <laughs> Did you say that? Um, oh, you said it to yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the first thing I thought, watching those two dottery old men, the, the three dottery old men on stage, because the moderator, Chris Wallace, was at no point under control. Like he did not have that in any way under control. And I just sat there and Hillary must have been at home just burning. I know. <laughs> I know. It, to me the winner of the debate was Hillary Clinton Be- because you go back and you think about, I mean, when she got her moments in that debate, she didn't oh. miss. She was prepared. <laughs> She had everything word perfect and she delivered the shots with total composure. Just like do yourself a favour and watch the Hillary documentary. It's on ABC iView at the moment and you'll see that she eviscerated him. Yeah. And then and, and watching the standard of what happened yesterday and, the, whole, and the, the thing was they were as bad as each other. It was a complete wash. There was no – they both played to their bases. No one was going to be convincing anyone – that to vote for the other side. Like that that was not happening at all. Well, I would say I was more annoyed by Trump. Just just the insufferable, like constant babble of interruptions. But having said that, when the spotlight went to Biden, it's not like I got inspiration and confidence. And unfortunately, <laughs> I'd read a tweet that said something like, This feels like two Grandpa Simpsons on stage. And I just <laughs> once I had that image in my head. I couldn't let it go. We can't bust heads like we used to, but we have our ways. One trick is to tell them stories that don't go anywhere. It was just so depressing to think most powerful nation, richest nation in the world, boiling down to the two people who shall lead it, and this is where we are. I still feel like Trump won in that he succeeded in sucking the oxygen out of the room. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, It's like... He is the person we're talking about from the debate. He's the memorable one from the debate. I, look, Joe had a great line, but but Trump interrupted him seventy two times in ninety minutes. Seventy two CNN counter. Yeah, I, he was sort of in this really superficial way. He was dominant, but I wouldn't. I mean, even looking back at the Hillary debate, which I start because I remember watching the Hillary <laughs> debates being really riveted by them. I willingly watched yeah. all three, and at this point, I don't know that I can watch the next two of these. There won't be any more debates. There's there's my prediction. Right. Nothing is to be gained. Neither side wants to do them. Hillary wanted to do them because that's her forte. 
Yeah, she did do well on that stage. And I mean, there were other areas where she was a bit more stilted and everything, but on that stage, she did really, really well. But I, yeah, I but- still felt like he occasionally did some things in those debates that worked for his base. And sometimes he would have these quips, like the bit where she was like going, this is a man who said when he didn't win an Emmy that the Emmys were rigged and he just shot off, should have won. And the audience burst out laughing. And as much as I kind of despised it, I thought he's a showman and that show is working for his audience. But this time there's no one that could have been entertained by what he was doing. And I see what, I know what you, look, I think the biggest thing it would do is just make people want to switch off and be disengaged. And you would think that would benefit him in some ways. But then Mm -hmm. I took myself on a journey and I thought the area that he really needs now, where he's really lost and he needs to make up ground is basically suburban white women who he won tragically last time around. And now they're really turning on him. And I just don't know that that would have helped him on that front at all. I just can't imagine no, any suburban white woman looking at that thinking, yeah, you know what? I've been on the borderline, but I'm going to give him a vote. No, because I'm essentially a suburban white woman and I've been interrupted by a ridiculous man many times in my life and I'm not going to vote for him. No. I hate being interrupted. <laughs> I hate when a man explains things and doesn't let me finish. Like, And that's exactly what he was doing yesterday. But the bit that I did laugh at was when Trump mocked Joe for wearing a mask while Melania sat a few feet away wearing a mask. <laughs> And then he goes, oh, I wear one if I think I need to. Like as though he can walk into an area and assess if it's a bit coronary. And if it's a bit coronary, he'll pop his mask on. And I saw someone liken that theory to having an area in a swimming pool that's for just weeing. (laughs) So just just rope off an area of a swimming pool for wee. (laughs) Like it's exactly what his argument is. But, I mean, it it was a steaming pile of shit wrapped in a large 10-car pylon wrapped in a dumpster fire wrapped in prosciutto, but – Biden did promise to accept the outcome peacefully and Trump refused to denounce white supremacists. So uh, uh, that is absolutely chilling. How is that not front page? It's it's Well, I mean, I think it is it is the headline that you have to go with from that debate that we have the US president who was given so many opportunities repeatedly again so saying can you denounce it and and ducked around it and and then gave a shout out to the Proud Boys, a group that I didn't even know of before this debate. Are you willing tonight to condemn white supremacists and militia groups and to say that they need to stand down and not add to the violence in a number of these cities, as we saw in Kenosha and as we've seen in Portland? Are you prepared to to specifically do it? I would say say almost everything I see is from the left wing, not from the right wing. So what are you 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 saying? I'm I'm willing to do anything. I want to see peace. Then do it, sir. Say it. Do it. Say it. What do you want to call them? Give me a name. Give me a name. White supremacists and right supremacists. supremacists Stand back and stand by. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Somebody's got to do something about Antifa and the left. So when he said Proud Boys stand back or what did he – what was that, some kind of call to action? Is that what – did he in, an, in a nationally televised presidential debate give a shout-out to a white supremacist group? Is that what's happened? Essentially, yes. I mean, you'd have to interpret it that way. He, they, he was asked to condemn them. Joe said Proud Boys, like, you know, he was saying, well, give me the name. Who do you want me to condemn? Who do you want me to condemn? And then Joe brought up that name. And he said, mm-hmm. proud boys, stand back and stand by. What? So the first part of that sentence, if it had stopped at proud boys, stand back. But even that isn't, that's not a condemnation. But then stand by, like get yourself ready. <gasps> 
They've and they've claimed it, of course. They themselves. I mean, everyone's all sitting there waiting to sell merchandise and, and redo their profile pictures, <laughs> but they've absolutely claimed it. And and he has not come out and clarified that position or anything like that. So yeah, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. So don't you think the moderator now needs to have the ability to turn the mic totally. off? Totally. I have to say, I, I there's the moderator has been completely shit canned and I completely understand why. He should well, be. Yeah, but the only thing he kept is, letting Trump land punches. If you don't have the ability to shut it, I felt like he did cut in a lot and set the rules and cut in and tried to, you didn't think so? No. Well, look, here, here, here is a little bit of him, um, like laying down the law with Trump. Have a listen. Mr. President, your campaign agreed to... Both sides would get two-minute answers uninterrupted. Well, your, your side agreed to it, and why don't you observe what your campaign agreed to as a ground rule, okay, sir? He never keeps his word. Can you add no, back, no, 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 I'm not asking. That was a rhetorical question. Yeah, but he only did that once. And there were times where the president was getting in the vital kind of gut punches in, in times where he should have been silent. And Chris was like going, Mr. President, isn't it like a kitten hitting wool? Isn't it? And Trump was just bulldozing. Yeah. Like I just think that there are times, quite a few times, where Trump petered off into really strong kind of punches at Joe when, when technically he should have been silent. So – I feel like there was some below-the-belt scores made when the moderator should have been way stronger. But like I said on Twitter, and everyone has said, like it's it's a joke that all of us came up with at once, it seems. Anyone who watches The Real Housewives knows that Andy, the guy who, who does all the, all the moderating of all the <laughs> reunion shows when all the women get together. Like I watched The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion last night, uh, season five, and it was hectic. <laughs> And, like, one woman threw herself across the couch and, and another woman told him to go fuck himself. And, like, he's sitting there comparing one woman to an aggressive dog. Like, he is the only person who can control that kind of energy <laughs> because he does all the housewives reunion shows. He does New Jersey, he does New York, he does OC, he does more. So I feel like he's the only person in the world. He's done some tours <laughs> of duty. He can handle ten crazy, rich, entitled women, surely he can handle these two. But you know what I think yesterday really proved that Trump was trying to control the conversation and is a man, a person who has never had to wait for his turn for anything in his life. No, exactly. Do you know? That's what that showed to me. Joe was essentially trying to play by the rules. I know. Uh, it, It took me a while afterwards I could barely get through it, and and I think the listeners, I know you kept the listeners of this podcast know <laughs> we are so obsessed with the U.S. politics and particularly the U.S. political debates. So for mm. I just I, and it took me a while afterwards to unpack why did this oh. make me feel so awful? And so I mean, obviously, seeing the U.S. president, you know, shout out to white supremacists is you know that's enough to make anyone feel awful. But it was just this overwhelming sense of. Uh, oh, just doom and horror. And now if I compare it to Madonna career terms, it was the way I felt after her Eurovision performance. <laughs> I just was wondering why going, what happened? Oh my God. What happened? What was with the pitch? Okay. What was with the styling? She, fell over? she didn't understand the format. How? How, Madonna? Oh. <laughs> but much worse. But also the other thing wow. is the constant his style uh, mm. in 2016, as much as I don't understand it, would never vote for him. I, I got the sense of people, you know, they wanted this disruptor. They wanted people to go in and blow everything up. And there was something electrifying about seeing this composed career politician like Hillary Clinton. And he's just saying what he wants and, and, and belting his way through the debate. And some people were into it. 
where the world is now with the pandemic, everything feels so broken, so unstable. And to see a performance like that, where he's interrupting, where it's chaos, he's a chaos agent. I just, do people really want a chaos agent at the moment? Like you're just yearning for some sort of sanity and stability. And I just, but I think what people are drawn to with Trump is his ability to deny kind of the hard facts of life. Do you know what I mean? Like he's almost comforting to people who don't want to know how bad it is because he just lies about it. Mm. So in essentially, essentially he's like all the gay men in my life who know that there are certain truths I don't need to ever hear nor want to hear. You guys shield me from truth sometimes. And in, and in essence, Trump is America's gay best friend. Looking, going, America, you don't look a day over <laughs> 29. Fine. You look amazing. Oh, my God. You, I mean, you look so thin and young. <laughs> what coronavirus now? We're on top of it. What are you worried about? Global warming. Babes, turn even. It's fine. No one's even going to notice. It's going to go away. You look great. So that that I understand is if you if things are really shit for you, and I, I mean as long as it's not directly affecting you, you would look to Trump as a guiding light because he just denies all the bad stuff, and his ability to spin shit is unparalleled. Mm. Oh my god, the amount of hit and spin he was doing yesterday. But I had to laugh because I finished watching the Comey the Comey Rule. Oh yes, and have you, did you watch it all? I not all the way through. I mean, I was. <laughs> But again, I've hit the point of just Trump intolerance. I, I, I am I'm about 40 minutes from the end of part two, so I've watched So you saw enough of the actor playing Trump yeah. and all the times he says, you know, I heard people say Trump's the smartest president we've ever had and, and people say Trump's made very good decisions. You know how he, he quotes people in the third person about himself? Yeah. And he, he was doing that in the debate or when he was talking about the judge. Yeah, a lot of very, very smart, smart people at Notre Dame. Smart, <laughs> smart people. I was like, oh, my God, he is a character. He is a villain in a two-part documentary slash dramedy series about the yeah, former FBI director, Jim Carrey. I know. Well, the amazing thing about mini- miniseries is that they actually kind of toned him down and pulled him. Like the makeup's not as extreme as the real makeup. The hair's not as ridiculous. And he's not as sort of florid as he normally is. And it's a bit of a worry when they have to, they have to tone down the persona of the US president just to make it plausible and watchable. I know. But, I mean, if you if you want uh, the Jim Comey, the Comey rule is on Stan and it covers the time around the email sc- scandal at just at the end of toward the last election, Hillary v. Trump and Jim Comey's director of FBI and many people felt that his handling of her investigation uh, cost her the election and it's kind of around that time. But it's based on Jim Comey's book, so I felt it really portrayed him as some kind of patriot hero. Yeah, um, he's very much depicted <laughs> as an honourable man with an intense moral dilemma. And the writing was really patriotic, gross, shiny, like year 12 exam, why do you love America? Like there were some scenes I had to fast forward. (laughs) But there was one section that I felt completely nailed Trump in one of the senior security advisors went to Jim Comey right before he was going to go tell Trump about how there was a dossier explaining that he and Russian prostitutes had pissed on a bed that that Obama and his wife, the Obamas, had slept in. Mm. so there's a sentence that we've just said about the current president of the United States. And he says, but when you tell Trump, you have to treat him like a kid because he can handle a battle, but he can't handle a punch. Yeah. And I think that is the best description. Whoever wrote that. Yeah. 
Like it, uh, he can handle thinking that, you know, half of America hates him because they're Democrats, fake news. But if he hears one person has said something about him, he becomes obsessive about that one person, yeah. about that one thing. And he was obsessed about the golden showers thing. He was obsessed about that one aspect. And it was just also in that scene, it, the thing that kept getting him was the the fact that the accusation was he'd paid for sex and he kept on thinking yes. about what Milani would think and, and, and the insult to his ego, not the fact that this is compromising information that could be a national no. security threat, no. just that how dare people think that he goes to prostitutes when we all know now, we've seen the receipts, we know Stormy Daniels, yeah. like he's... <laughs> He keeps, he keeps in the, it keeps bringing up the, oh, no, well, look at me. Why would I have to pay for sex? I was like, oh my God. I know. What an amazing gift to, to, to be so <laughs> offended by something that is just naturally a part of your genuine personality. So look, I'm, I'm worried. It was kind of like caring senile granddad versus racist drunk uncle. And I don't think anyone won. I think that's accurate. But I also don't, th- I genuinely don't think it's changed the race. Like I think it was irrelevant. Nah, the base is fine and there's none of the swings, no one in, in a swing position, no one who's not sure. And my, my tip would be the ratings for the next two debates, not the VP debate, but the next two debates are going to be well down because who is, I mean, even I I'm I don't think there's going to be any more. There won't be any more. I don't see the point. They'll let the VP debate happen, which hopefully, well, I don't know, Mike Pence, as I said to you, is the human equivalent of a wet face washer, a cold one. And I think it'll be like Kamala arguing at a brick wall. I think it will because not, neither of them will back away. And also because Joe Biden's campaign had one of the biggest windfalls that they've had of fundraising during that debate. So they're oh, 3. not- 3.8 million in an hour. Yeah. I don't think they're going to want to back down. And, and I mean, Joe's already said he's going to be there. So it, it, it would know, rely on Trump saying there's no point. He's not going to say that. So unfortunately, we're all going to Oh, uh, we'll to see. I don't know. It. I've just got a feeling it won't happen. Oh, magical unicorn of death. <laughs> I really think the damage has been done. I don't understand what there is to gain from doing two more of those because Trump's not going to change. And what, how can Biden change? Yell louder. Like that's not going to achieve anything. It's not like the main uh, The only thing that I would say for Biden is you could see at times he was like listening to Trump and then looking at the time and, and, and you know, trying to get his words out and it was – you. My only optimism is that maybe now that he's been in that situation and he's seen how full on it was, he'll go in the yeah. next time a bit more prepared True. with his spills ready just to – I mean, he should have been bloody. He knew the debate was on <laughs> Jesus Christ. But I don't think – and I have heard a lot of people, you know, he's, he has battled with a stutter since he was a boy and a lot of people with stutters online were saying there is nothing worse if you're a stutterer than to have someone – like pummeling you with sentences while you're speaking. It's the worst thing you can face. And But Trump knew that. Yeah. I mean, the, no, it was a total absolutely. tactic, clearly. Oh, yeah. But hopefully Everything he was he doing might. was designed to confuse either an elderly person or a person who has like a stutter or attention. Like for me, I couldn't concentrate and I wasn't speaking. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, too much noise. Well, time will tell. Uh, moving on to a Harry Potter. <laughs> Let's talk about another grand beloved institution and empire that we're really concerned is up in flames. Look, Odette has been spending school holidays making her way back through Harry Potter books and movies. Um, so she's oh, she's at the right age now. She's 13. That's what how old the kids were when they started. You know, like it, she's really in that right age to get in and love it and enjoy it. Because when we first kind of consumed it, she was very young. Yeah. And Marcella and her are 60s different. And... I walk past her 
last night just totally engrossed in one of the movies and I internally I flinched and I was like, oh, God, is this okay? Because obviously, if you're not aware, the author of the series, J.K. Rowling, has been in a fair bit of shit because of her transphobic views. Mm. Uh, late last year, she tweeted in defence of Maya Forstarter, who's a researcher who lost her job at a think tank after tweeting that men can't change into women. She says that uh, genitals equate gender, that you're either a man or a woman and it doesn't matter what you say or do. And clearly that is extremely damaging and awful to the trans community and we now know that genitals don't always determine gender. We absolutely know that now. And JK defended her and everyone's like, mm, okay, that that's not that's not good. You, you you shouldn't do that. But I think everyone was quite maybe it was a one-off. Oh, uh, yeah, but, but then she really, really doubled down. <laughs> so she's she's a turf, which is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. I think she would deny that or say that that's just sort of a label that's been thrust. She does her. deny. Oh, well, she she, she does, does do that. She does do a lot of like I have many friends in the trans community. Yeah. In June though, she tweeted and wrote a blog. Uh it said that she supported trans rights, but she did not this is where she lost me. She, I mean, she'd already lost me fairly, but then I thought oh, maybe she just didn't understand the case or something. I don't know. <laughs> and then this is where she lost me. Um, she doesn't believe in the concept of erasing biological sex. She says she won't bow down to a movement she thinks is seeking to erode women and offer, here it is, the bit that I, an offer cover to predators like few before. Yes. This, I, I made my way through that essay. And obviously there's a lot of complex issues um, you know, associated with, with, you know, adolescence transitioning and everything like that. But that was not the core of her argument against it. Not that that would have been defensible anyway. When it got down to it, she wrote, I believe my government's playing fast and loose with women's and girls' safety when you throw open the doors of bathrooms mm. and changing rooms to any man who believes or feels he's a woman, then you throw open the door to any and all men who wish to come inside. <sighs> and... Uh, it's just, <laughs> firstly, <laughs> this obsession with bathrooms, I, 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 crimes of people <laughs> dressing up as a woman to coming in to attack you, that is not a thing that happens. What is a thing that happens is, is that trans women are unfortunately forced to go into men's changing rooms culturally yes. at times, and they're very unsafe. That is, that, that's a time where violence can occur. And, and, and just in general, the trans community is subjected to an extraordinary level of violence. The notion of women being preyed upon in public toilets by people posing as women or, you know, pretending to be trans women, is it, it doesn't happen. And, and also, by the way, if, someone, if a man wants to come into a public toilet and attack you, it's not like there's security on public toilets. They don't need to dress up no. as a woman. They could just do it if that was a thing that happens, which is not. It's not like if if the gender reforms go ahead in the UK, which she's opposing, that people can self-identify as whatever fucking gender they want. It's not like if they approve that, is this a fl- open the floodgates and men everywhere are going to don a wig and a skirt. Like, oh, okay, just reducing- new <sighs> tactic, fellow predators. Oh, my uh, it's God. Just, and it reminds me, it does take me back to, back in the marriage equality debate, the thing that just blew my mind was how much, you know, the debate was framed as though straight cisgendered people 
were suddenly the victims. They were the victims of everything, despite the decades of, of uh, the millennia of, of, of LGBTIQ people being subjected to all sorts of discrimination and violence and murder. All of a sudden, the shoe was on the other foot. And I, this argument does the same thing. Like the trans community, the rates of depression and, and the rates of crime against them is so immense. And to say that women straight women, cisgendered women, uh, their prey is just so, it's not borne out by any kind of statistics and it's so offensive. I I mean, she's gone down a road that, and she is intent on denying the experience of trans women. And that's deeply personal. To to tell someone their identity doesn't matter is, is about as personal as you can get. To deny that experience, to say, no, you're wrong, that's not allowed. And then to have the most beloved author of the most beloved children's series of all time come forward and say, you know, women can't say, men can't say that they're women. It's just so damaging. And I, I don't know that she's thought that all the way through. <sighs> no. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think she realises how many kids, how many marginalised kids look to that series because it is all about the misfits. It, it is so beloved, especially by kids who feel that, you know, they're not the, the norm. Yeah. It's so complicated for lovers of – I'm a lover of Harry Potter and and my kids are and, like I said, I didn't really know how to, pro, how, how to process what's going on because what she's doing is wrong and damaging and hurtful and you can't deny the experience of trans people. It's, 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 it's not okay. But also that – that book is just so many kids form their moral compass and their opinions and their values from reading those books that this woman has written. So then I've had to go back and think, is there any kind of subliminally transphobic messages? And then I went down a bad rabbit hole last night, Michael. And oh, wow. Some and of people the char- found them. Well, not so much that, but how the goblins had hooked noses and they were baddies and how the, um, some people, w- w- the person wearing a turban was a baddie and there's a lot of messages in there that anyone who's not kind of the norm, the, the, the idea of normal, uh, uh, Anglo-Catholic white person, was kind of depicted as a villain. So there's a lot right. of kind of theories along those lines. But the, the conclusion I've come to is that, and for anyone listening going, Em, just fucking tell me, is it okay if we still love Harry Potter? <laughs> I mean, that's a personal choice. And now we're down to the age-old argument, can you separate the artist from the art? And I thought about it. And I think it, it's a spectrum. Do you know what I mean? Like I, w- I will never watch a Woody Allen movie ever again. I can't. Right. I can't. For me on the spectrum, that's yeah. well down. But well, often his movies encompass the themes of older men with younger women and yeah. things like that as well. Yeah. So for me, the Harry Potter fandom has surpassed her as an author. The Harry Potter fandom stand on their own. They are this giant octopus of amazing people who have written fan fiction, who have also kind of acknowledged the problems in the books, how there's no gay characters, how, you know, there's, there's very few, what am I trying to say? There's not a lot of di- uh, diversity in Harry Potter. And they've also added non-binary characters in their fan fiction. So I think the fandom have reclaimed Harry Potter for all the fans. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's okay for your kids and for you to still love those stories. Do you think? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. If they were, if the texts themselves were riddled with obviously transphobic storylines, then that would be a different matter. But um, 
But they're not. In fact, quite the opposite. I think part of the thing that was so distressing about it was, was as you said, pe- pe- trans kids did identify with Harry Potter. It felt like it was, was speaking to the outsider trying to find their place in the world. So I still think, you know, the books are a huge part of our culture. And I mean, we, as, as anyone knows, <laughs> we have been absolutely raised by Walt Disney. And I have no doubt oh, that gosh. if we looked into his politics and uh, even some of the themes in a lot of his work, it, would be incredibly uh, distressing, but it's embedded in our culture and we still to this day get a lot out of it. Some might say we get too much out of it for people in their 40s, but <laughs> that's just the way it is. And so but, I think, I mean, I'm with you, I, I would, and I'm not at all worried about Odie somehow subliminally becoming no, transphobic. No, well, she, she, she got the lecture. Like she, I made her aware of what the author's been doing and mm. um, also it should be noted in JK's new book, The uh, Killer Dresses, as a woman, a man dresses up That's as a right. woman to kill women. So just, just another little steer Odie sure. away from that one for sure. Oh and my also, god! You know, it's good to you know if you can talk about it with her and raise the discussion. Then we need nuance in these sort of things. Exactly. Like she's got to be able to hold her love of Harry Potter in one hand and and her concerns about the views of its author in another. Well, that's the only way I think to survive life moving forward. I think that's the only way is you, you need to suck the goodness, the marrow out of something and, it, and if it comes from a problematic source, understand that. I mean, it gets muddied if she's financial. I mean, she's the first author, I think, to reach billionaire status. Mm. I mean, she continues to benefit financially and some might question if, we ben- if, if she's pocketing money, then that is allowing her to, do you know what I mean, keep spouting the transphobic Rhetoric and like that part of it's complicated. So I made sure that the the books are old books that like she got the money before she was transphobic, and the movies that Odie are watching are on DVDs that I bought pre transphobia. <laughs> JK is not making a sense. So I'm just making sure like go to the library and maybe get the books and maybe donate the money you might have spent to a, a, a charity that helps trans kids. Do you know what I mean? Like I think there are ways to to karmically cleanse your soul on this one. I feel really um, sorry for I've we've both had friends in the play that's on in Melbourne and of course it's been shut down oh. in the pandemic and and you know they've been and there was some obviously this was all bubbling away before the pandemic but it's been during the pandemic that she has really fired up all of this sort of stuff. She's had a lot of time in her hands. They're so desperate to go back to work and that show, you know, was sold out for yonks and they love doing it. And, um, and unfortunately it is a bit tainted now. And I just, I just feel so bad that they've waited their way through this pandemic, hoping to get back on the stage. And now there's another weird aspect. But I just like JK, shut up. You're ruining the legacy. Change your name. Like, just don't go under the name that is attached to the book of, of the beloved series that's given so many of us hope. Like, just stop. I don't understand. Well, she's not going to now. <sighs> well, but. she should. I, I think I think she's just going to double down, to be honest. I think yeah, she's going to get worse. Yeah. worse. Uh, before you go, we did want to just kind of throw the idea of something out there that we hope gains some traction. Uh, hashtag day off, Dan. Um, we think it's time <laughs> here at the Emsolation Podcast that Dan Andrews takes a day off. Um, I don't know. There's not much else to say. At the press conference yesterday, he had the real energy of a dad who was super disappointed with, with everyone, with especially the journalists. You likened it to, what did you say, a big party? Oh, that was Tony. No, no, yeah, when you're hungover, when you like creep out hungover and, you, and your dad is um, sitting there at breakfast just sort of staring at you, not saying all that much, just radiating <laughs> intense disappointment. <laughs> 
<laughs> Tony, our producer, that's who we're referring to. But I'm, I, I am an advocate for proper rest, hugely. I made yes. my mistakes. There was a period of time from 2010 to 2014 where I burnt myself out enormously. And you I missed paid. the birth of my child because you overworked. <laughs> This comes up constantly and I deny this. I had conjunctivitis. Because your body, your system had shut down because you had worked like a ridiculous person all through Christmas. I get it, Dan. I get it because I do the same thing. <laughs> I push myself. I push myself to work at it. But as I've got older, I've realised it's a false economy and you're, you're actually chipping away at your work performance. And look at Brett. He often takes a little bit of time off. I know because I'm, I'm desperate to see the level of his facial hair and then he's not there. And I love seeing Ellen Cheng, so that's great. But. <laughs> Yes. But it's because Brett is wisely taking those times just to, you know. And I do think Dan has great leadership qualities, but you can also lead people by having a day off. Agree. Hashtag day off, Dan. We want to bring uh, James Molino in off the bench. He is the Deputy Premier who we I didn't to even look know existed. Up. He's got a Stanley Tucci vibe. <laughs> yeah. He looks like Stanley Tucci, guys. You'll be happy with him. He's a pleasant face. I'm assuming Italian from that last name. Well, we all know that personally I still want you to go and do the to the Premier's press conference. Let's be truthful and transparent. In an episode of the podcast, I did a mock uh, press conference and it was decided by a few people that I'd gone a bit hard, so we cut it out of the episode. But next episode, all right, next week... I will 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 hold a mock presser and I will perform as I wish Dan would. <laughs> it does involve walking in going, right, oh dickheads, I don't give a fuck about what you're about to ask me. So you get three questions. If I don't like it, you get the fuck out. It's an insight into the M. Rossiano leadership style. It's different from Dan Andrews. I'm going to say it's different to Jacinda Ardern as well. I'm going to say there's never been quite a leader that has reacted. It's just a no dickhead policy, Michael. (laughs) Basically, no dickhead policy. In M. Rossiano's cabinet, if you're a dickhead, just see your fucking way out. (laughs) Off. Bye. Gone. See ya. What's that question? What did you say? You asked me about masks in the country? Fuck off, dickhead. Like, this is how I would be running press conferences. This is why I will never go into politics. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's all we have to say. Hashtag day off, Dan. Tap in, James. It's time. You're all right. Our numbers are pretty good. I just feel like, I don't know, maybe I'll message his wife because, you know, we do DM now. Wow. Um, but I just think it's time that he just have a few days of rest and relaxation at home. He can just put the North Face jacket on, go for a walk, have a little coffee, just chill. It takes its toll. You work and you work and you work. It takes it out of you one way or another, physically, mentally, a combination of the two. It's not Dan, good. take a day off. You've got permission officially from the Emsolation podcast. <laughs> I'm sure that was the authorization he was waiting for. If he takes one <laughs> off, we're claiming it. Like, there's no way. This is win-win for us. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you got to go. You've got very important work to do. And I am exhausted from all those discussions. That like we we we, we, did, we did go into heavy topics today. Good. Well, well, let's, we we'll need to rest follow from... up with a good. Do you have any more period stories? Oh, mate, that's we needed a rest because honestly, fuck. <laughs> the, the amount of response I have had. Oh, it's, our, it's our most listened to podcast so far right out the bat. Like it has gone gangbusters. People just want to hear about rogue tampons apparently. It was really compelling. I mean, I felt like I could identify it and it's a physical process I've never been through. <laughs> Someone said they wanted it animated. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's got a good three-act structure. Can you imagine? No. I asked the girls, I'm like, are you okay that I told that story? And Chella looked at me and she said, oh, you danced with 12 vaginas on the telly. I'm like, yeah, that ship sailed, hasn't it? She goes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, I'm exhausted. I'm going. Oh, I'll talk okay. to you later.
Okay, bye. Bye. This is Emsolation. Well, thank you very much for listening this week. Thank you for listening today. Another episode of Dilemma Doctors will come out tomorrow. We're helping a woman kind of navigate her 14-year-old daughter's birthday party. The daughter wants one thing, the mum wants another. Michael and I help them come to a resolution. If you would like us to solve your dilemmas, they can be they can be hard ones. We can take a hard one. If you've got a hard relationship question or a personal question, I think we can tackle it. Hello at mrussiano.com. Email your dilemma through and you can be anonymous. Just put in the email, can you change my name? And I'll give you an amazing name, like something like Anastasia. You know, like I'll give you a really mysterious spy name, okay, if you don't want your real name used. So it can be whatever you want. It doesn't just have to be petty dilemmas. We can take some hard stuff. Hello at mrussiano.com. Thanks for listening today. We went everywhere. We really did. Um, I feel like it is okay if, if, if you're into Harry Potter, just stand by the fandom, not so much what the author's saying. And to any of my trans friends who are listening, I hope it wasn't too triggering for you. And again, I just want to remind you that I am your ally. Michael is your ally. Your experience is valid. Your identity is valid. And gender and genitals don't, you know, they, they don't mean shit anymore. All right. That's enough from me. Well, tomorrow's Dilemma Doctors. I'm on the project tonight. Don't forget if you're listening on Thursday. And we'll chat soon. Have a great day. Bye. A podcast one production.